Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Icy Cocktails. I'm Zach Teamy. I'm Aaron Montgomery. And today we are bringing you a show about rum. That's the plan. Now, Aaron was uh, in our pre-show meeting giving me a lot of crap for my uh, drink of choice yesterday. I was. I had uh, no less than three separate drinking engagements that I, you know, had to attend or be rude. Uh, you know, <laughs> two of which I hosted. Oh, shit. Three of which I hosted. So, uh... I basically spent yesterday drinking uh, rum and Cokes, and I was going basically with uh, Captain and Diet, so Captain Morgan's rum. Captain Morgan's rum and Diet Coke. Correct. And I'm still going to say that that's not really um, preparing for the show. Are, are you sure? Because it's, there's it's, like – I consumed a lot of rum. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Did you – I mean like any sort of research or anything else I suppose you could maybe try and pull off on that? Although it would have been more believable had you tried other rums. Uh, by the end of last night at the dive bar, I might have had other rums. I'm not entirely sure that all dive bars only ever give me the rum I order. <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So let's dive in and talk about rum. So uh, I did – the absolute minimum amount of research that is humanly possible for the show today. I basically know that rum comes from, you know, sugarcane byproducts and it's, uh, you know, distilled and then slapped into barrels. Sometimes into barrels, yes. Sometimes into barrels, sometimes just like straight. I've, some of it even goes into like big wet steel drums or something like that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about this distilling process. Actually, take a step back. Let's talk a couple of styles of rums. So... Let's say I go to a bar and I don't want to order Captain Morgan's. What uh, what am I even looking at? Because there's like white rum, there's dark rum, there's light rum. There's so everything from like clear yeah. to um, really brown looking stuff. So the the technically there are four different uh, um, styles of rum. I guess is what it comes down to. You've got your white rum. You've got what's called golden or sometimes light rum. And then you've got uh, dark. And then spiced, um, and spiced and blackstrap, blackstrap dark rum all are kind of they, they interchange a little bit. Um, but what it comes down to is you've got your light rum, which is kind of just the straight distilled spirit that has almost no aging in it, um, or even even more accurately has no aging in it. That's the stuff that would literally go into a. a so it beer. comes right out of the still and yeah. into my belly. It'd be very similar to vodka in the sense of it's a straight distilled, okay, neutral spirit. Um, not a whole lot of flavor necessarily associated outside of what you're using to create it with. So you can get flavors of sugar cane or molasses or whatever sugar product you used. Yeah, um, but it's not going to have any sort of complex flavors to it. Right, because it really only has the base and a bunch of distillate. Yeah. And then you've, you're, you've got your golden which or golden or light rums, which are aged in uh, oak barrels. Um, the big difference between those and the dark rums is that golden and light rums are aged usually for less time, but they're also aged in non-charred oak barrels. So you don't get the extra aspect of charring the oak. Um, you get a slightly different flavor profile because of that. You get more of a um, more of a lighter profile. You get some of the same flavors that you would get from wood when you don't char it in other alcohols such as whiskey or wine or things like that right so you end up with uh, a much more uh, i'm gonna say clean for lack of a better term where yeah. you don't have kind of the more smoky complex flavors that are brought in from charred rums or now in the golden rums do they use fresh oak barrels or do they use brandy barrels or other barrels around like wine barrels 
So there isn't there isn't a classification for rum that I was aware of or am aware of as far as it has to be like you know for bourbon it has to be a a, a new charred oak barrel. Right. There isn't a classification like that that I am aware of. So usually it's new barrels, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, cool. So when we start our distillery, we might want to sample uh, different kinds of uh, barrel types to see how it influences <laughs> the flavor of our rum. Well, and there's a couple of, I mean, kind of speaking of that, there are a couple of scotches that actually get a finished age in a used rum barrel. Oh, to bring a little bit of the kind of sugary flavor back to it? A little bit of the sugary flavor back to it, a little bit of a sweetness, um, a little bit more of a vanilla um, and, and caramel notes come out a little bit more. Um, it's the one that I can think of that's the most most famous for it is uh, the Balvini makes a 14-year-old aged uh, scotch that has, I think it's, I want to say it's 12 years in normal charred oak barrels, and then the last two are in Caribbean rum casks. So, uh, And then the final, like the dark, the dark rum is aged in charred oak barrels. Because of the charring, it gets darker quicker. Um, it also has more vanilla and caramel notes coming out of the wood. Um, and yeah, I mean like that's your, your major styles. Uh, spiced rum is the, the, is the last bit. Um, and the funny thing about spiced rum is that there are good examples of it now, but largely spiced rum got started to hide inferior product. Really? Yep. So, uh, somebody was making rum poorly and they thought, Hey, if we just add some additional flavors in here, then folks won't notice that we did a shitty job. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. It's kind of similar to um, a good example is that's where a lot of the overpoweringly juniper bad gins come from. Right. It's which we'll be talking about in a later episode. <laughs> yeah, because uh, for the light for the longest amount of my life, I thought gin was just absolutely horrible because it was like sucking on a Christmas tree. You were having bad gin, and that's what it turns out. I was just having bad gin. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of funny how that works out. Right? I mean, like, and it makes sense when you think about the fact that how old rum is, where it's produced. And well, so how old is rum? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on exactly what you want to go with. Uh, for the most part, people are going to th- think of rum as more of a Caribbean island type drink. And, and the idea is also very associated with, you know, the colonial British Navy and pirates and things like that. Uh, and that's that's a fair modern-ish time frame, but that's like 1700s. Um, if you go back as far as the 1400s, there are references of Marco Polo. Um, Getting sugar wine from the nice folks in Iran. Exactly. Um, so you did do a little bit of research. Like I said, minimum amount of research <laughs> possible. So, I mean, that's an example of, you know, sugar wine would have been most likely what we would think of as rum. It would have been uh, uh, alcohol distilled from sugarcane, which they have in Iran. Um, and you get examples of it as more things that you would associate very closely with rum as a style in other places where sugarcane is popular or that is really easy to find. So Mauritius in, in you know, so basically any kind of warm tropical area that's growing um, sugarcane yeah. has come up with their own style of rum, which means you can probably find rum in places like Guatemala, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, probably Hawaii. Yeah. Um, um, you know, those kinds of places are probably – well, yeah, I assume it's one of those things where you uh, – as a 
human, you decide to make alcohol out of what you have available. If you happen to be in uh, England, guess what? You figure out how to make beer because you can't grow shit out there. <laughs> um, if you're in like France, you have all these wonderful grapes. You're like, I guess I'll make me some wine. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because uh, a, a bit of the history of rum comes from the fact that it is essentially an alcohol born from industrial waste. So it was originally created, um, like modern rum we would think of, it was originally created from the idea of you're producing refined sugar from sugar canes and what you get left over is molasses. And oh, look, if you just let molasses sit, it kind of starts to ferment. And that's where the whole like process of generating your typical molasses-based rum comes from. But don't they put molasses in cookies too? <laughs> yes, I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where you get it used in various other things, right? But, like, you've got this byproduct. Uh, what do you do with it? I've, I've created sugar and refined it, and you get a byproduct of molasses. So what do I do with this other piece of it? And, oh, look, it sat around for a while, and uh, maybe I'll try and taste it and see what it tastes like. See, that's the thing that always amazes me about humans. <laughs> So we got this liquid that we left sitting over here for like, oh, I don't know, eight, nine months. It's been bubbling up and, well, damn, if I ain't going to be drinking that later. You know, like, <laughs> how does that process go in people's heads, right? I I have no idea, but it is kind of an impressive fact. This is the same thing I have with cheese. I love cheese. But the process by which you go through to get cheese, get cheese that's like, whoever said, I'm going to take this milk. I'm going to put some other bacteria and crap in it, and I'm going to heat it up and then lock it in a room. Ooh, that is horrible smelling, and there's – oh, wait. If I dig in deep enough, there's something I can eat. Like, do, Yeah. Yeah. And it always cracks me up with like a really good cheese, and you leave it in the refrigerator for a little bit, and like it starts to mold on it. And like you think, oh, it's moldy. I should throw it away. I'm like, yeah. no, cheese is mold. <laughs> I, I don't like that kind of mold. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the history of rum. So uh, over the years – because it sounds like rum has been around for a lot of them. Folks have made other things with uh, rum too. Like I know there were uh, uh, references to grog where you take uh, water or beer, mix it with rum mm -hmm. or um, uh, bumbo, which I didn't actually click the link on that one. So I'm not entirely positive what it is. The it's interesting with grog is that like that's one of those things that it was also as well similar to like a nog of um, – Oh, so more like the eggnog or uh, – Well, not not like eggnog, but like – because eggnog is a very specific style. But the idea of having this like rum, beer, and maybe egg or other combination in a glass and then they would like stick a hot poker in it and it would bubble it up and become a hot beverage. Uh, that sounds interesting. Why don't we do that these days? Is there any bar that just jams a hot poker into your drink to heat it up? Because that would be badass. I don't know of any off the top of my head. Uh, especially not in the Seattle area, but I have heard of some bars that have been like toying with the idea of how to create like traditional style nogs, flips, things like that, and have like essentially a food grade poker as opposed to like just the fire poker that right. they've been used previously. <laughs> They're just going to yank it right out of the fire. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Brush it off a little bit and jam it in. But like a food grade, you know, hot iron that it gets left in an oven of some sort and they pull it out and stick it in the drink. That would be actually really cool. If you find a place that has that, we're totally going and talking about the show. Talking Fair enough. about it on the show. I would so, imagine like the, there's like two places that could potentially – I could see doing that in Seattle because there's a, there's a rum bar specifically in Capitol Hill. Uh, what's the name? Rumba? 
Um, it's R-U-M-B-A. Um, and it literally is a rum bar. You walk in and, and they've got just, just tons and tons of rum on the wall um, and then a bunch of rum-style drinks. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I know you can go to a whiskey bar. There's uh, plenty of microbreweries or uh, micropubs. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually been to a uh, place that was focused solely on rum. Yeah, this place is is. Um, I mean, if you're in, if you know the Seattle area at all, um, it's on Capitol Hill, very close to uh, just before you get to the the freeway, um, or just as you get back going down north or south. Because <laughs> uh, Capitol Hill sort of runs like right with the freeway there. It, it does. Like like the whole thing is right next to the freeway. It's on either Pike or Pine. I can't remember which. I want to say Pine. And it is uh, – no, it's on Pike because it's a block away from, or it's a little bit over a block away from the Pine Box, um, which, which would be on Pine, of course. Um, uh, near on, near uh, the Paramount. It's on Pike. Pike, yes. Yeah. There we go. Um, it's Pike near the freeway. Um, but it's a really good, really good bar, uh, as far as their selection goes. Um, and then there's Hotel Albatross, which is in Ballard. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rum focused bar, but it has, uh, tiki style drinks and a lot of Caribbean style drinks. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about the different things you can make with rum in a little bit. Let's stick to rum on its own because I think most people have only actually considered drinking rum in a rum and Coke or a daiquiri or something like that. Yeah. But you can actually taste rum straight up, and there's a lot of rum that was designed to be drank you know, just with either rum or ice. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and there's been a it, – it's interesting there – has been in the last 20 years very obviously a kind of hard alcohol spirits revival cocktail revival and as part of that it seems that some of the previously less well-known or less popularized alcoholic beverages that would have been or styles rather right that would have been thought of as just a particular one drink so you know, I think a good example of that is is whiskey, and people thinking they would only drink like an old fashioned or a whiskey sour or something like or, that, or even uh, tequila. Everybody believes margarita yeah. is the only way to go. And um, each of them have gotten in larger and larger popularity, and then all of a sudden you start to realize how much the complexity is behind them. And it's really cool because the the interest level in them doesn't diminish the interest level in the other alcohols as well. But you just start to kind of enjoy the appreciation. So like rum is very similar to whiskey in that there's a lot that are just aged for a long period of time or aged in, in interesting and unique ways. And they have very good flavor profiles because of that. And you find yourself, hey, let's have a glass of rum and smoke a cigar. And it goes insanely well together. I have to admit that for me, I'm a big fan of rum, whiskey, or scotch while having a cigar. Because you can get, definitely get different notes out of the cigar even depending yeah. on what you're drinking. Well, it's, it's very similar to any sort of food pairing, right? Where you've got flavor pairings is what you're doing. Um, and so how you would do a pairing of cocktails or a whiskey or a wine with a particular food item, you can do the same thing with scotch and or with a cigar rather, right? And pairing it with a specific type of scotch or whiskey or rum or cognac mm, or cognac. brandy. 
Actually, cognac's one of those things that I've only had a very little bit of and, you know, need to work on that. We should add that to a future show. True. Although I, I feel like cognac's expensive to get into. That's a good point. Maybe I wait till I'm rich again. No, I just like convinced John to come up. He's got a whole bunch in his house. Ooh, good thinking. Guests that bring alcohol, my favorite kind. <laughs> so uh, we were talking, I, I did uh, do some Wikipedia research on uh, Bumbo because apparently back in the olden days, um, this is what the pirates would use in exchange around for, um, you know, money and loot and whatnot. <laughs> but that's how it worked, right? They couldn't exactly use PayPal. No, I just, you said loot and all I could think of was like, uh, that was an Archer episode with talking about pirate booty and Archer didn't know that pirate booty meant money. <laughs> ah, of course, Archer yeah. and his, uh, interestingly, uh, deep understanding of history and geopolitical structure while also being completely ignorant of it. Yes. Yeah. So Bumbo is a drink made from rum, water, sugar, and nutmeg. Sometimes they substitute cinnamon for it. Interesting. Uh, I've never tried that, although if you think about that, that is the classic um, classic cocktail recipe, right? You got yeah. spirit, water, and sugar. Mm, spirit, water, and sugar, my favorites. <laughs> so any more talk on the history of rum? Actually, let's talk about – so we've talked about the different flavors of rum. We've talked about some of the uh, legacy uses of rum, some of its history – is there what's the oldest uh, distillery right now that's making uh, rum? Uh, unless that was part of your rudimentary research, I don't know either. Damn right, it was part of my rudimentary <laughs> research. I am totally not directing the show to the things I know. <laughs> so apparently, the uh, Mount Gay Distillery oh, okay. has been around since 1703. They have like documents, documented proof that they go back. Um, what is that? Like uh, 300 years and change. Yeah, 2016, yeah. 2003. Yeah, huh? that's a long time. That's that's a good uh, good math you got there. Um, yeah, thanks. I've been working on it. Uh, and yeah, that's that is a long time. There's I don't know of a whole lot of other distilleries that have been you know functionally operational for that long without any sort of break. Yeah, I mean, and that's distilleries all up, not just uh, rum distilleries. Yeah, right? yeah. It's very. I mean, it's kind of uncommon for a business to run that long. I mean, I think in some of the. Uh, uh, whiskeys or scotches, you have some uh, distilleries that have been around for probably the same amount of time. Well, uh, and there's some, I, I mean, there are some scotches that will claim recipes or being around since the 1400s, but I mean, at the same time, that's. Right. The recipe being written down and nobody using it for 200 years doesn't feel like it counts. Yeah. I, I would have to do more research on that for which ones, but I mean, taking a 300 year nonstop production of, of rum, that's a pretty impressive streak i'm gonna go with yeah i i'm impressed i mean i'm gonna send them a note later and say good job people <laughs> hey they might send me free rum who knows they might so you can um, like have a like a written link to the podcast episode as well so you can say and hey, look we talked about you no i'm just gonna make it uh, a blue with an underline on it so that they know they can click it even though it's paper oh excellent idea yeah i was actually looking at the internet somewhere and there was a newspaper ad that said, click here for more info <laughs> in the newspaper. And I was like, that is awesome. If I still read the newspaper, I would totally buy that newspaper. That's, that's like a, an example, I think, of bad print not knowing to filter out the online version versus the Oh, yeah, definitely. Version. But it made me smile. Oh, yeah, no, no joke. 
So do you have an idea where the word rum even comes from? I do not. So uh, I, I didn't either, but the Wikipedias were helpful. And they uh, summarized it best by saying, ah, fuck if I know. <laughs> I like that. They used a lot of words. And they uh, talked about, like, uh, you know, swanky, smart, panty, smart pants people from schools with degrees and whatnot. Um, and they all said, mm, could be almost anywhere. It's interesting. Like, I, as much as I find the history of alcohol fun to learn and, and read about, it is one of those things that's really, really hard to, to find definitive answers without some real long research. And even those, it's like, okay, well, I mean, a good example of that, you'd think that the drink, the old fashioned would have some sort of like concrete answer, but like you can write a 150 page book on the history of it. Yeah. And it's weird, especially when you're looking at something that could, that happened like thousands of years ago, right? Wine, beer, distilled, anything. Um, It's kind of, it's kind of understood that you're not ever going to find, you know, Bob in Europe made this the first time ever. And then he told his buddy and then now everybody's doing it. That would but have been something Southern Europe, the way you were phrasing that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, was, I couldn't come up with a European name fast enough. But uh, something that happened in you know relatively recent history, like the old fashioned, that's what only a hundred years old. No, it's best. more than that. Really? Yeah, I really should have listened to our episode on the old. You fashioned. should have. Yeah. Ah, damn it. <laughs> so now I have some homework. Go back and listen to previous episodes. <laughs> So what more do you want to talk about, Rum, or do we want to jump right into the tasting? I say let's jump into the tasting because we're going to obviously like chat while tasting. That's going to happen. I've never, ever drank alcohols with you and talked. <laughs> That's not just – no, it's not going to happen. Uh, I don't think we've done it this year. That's probably correct. Actually, is this our first uh, Icy Cocktails this year or our second? It's the first of this year because the – no. It's the second. It is the second. I take that back. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, because I could have sworn you were over for the, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I came over here for the, like, home bar one. Yeah. Which was, like, the last episode, but yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> whatever. All right, so in <laughs> We're our, so good at this. <laughs> I know, we, we, we are the good. Uh, in our hand right now, we each have a sample of some rum. We're drinking right now Sun Liquor. It's Correct. in, um, distilled in the far off reaches of Seattle, Washington. Yep. I figured let's start with local. Yep. And uh, so this is one of those distilleries that seems to not be located in a tropical warm region. That is true. So I, I assume they're located up on Capitol Hill. They are located on Capitol Hill. Um, and it's interesting because I haven't like done enough research on their particular fashion for making uh, rum. And the reason why I'm curious about it is because I know that one of the laws for Washington State distilleries is that a certain percentage of the ingredients have to be from Washington, have to be local. Um, so I'm not sure how that works out for rum because I don't think that sugar cane is a very high produced. Uh, well, you uh, if it does, it just have to be sourced from Washington. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's fine. We have plenty of growing places in the east. It's true. I don't know if we. I don't, I don't know if we're making sugar anywhere, but I, that doesn't matter. I guess. Yeah. I suppose I could look that up. That would have been more effective for this particular bit. I think guessing and checking is, uh, you know, way more fun. Fair enough. That's our that's our standard operating procedure, anyways. So yeah, planning is for people that have successful podcasts. 
Oh, is that what we're doing wrong? Mm-hmm. So what kind of uh, rum do we have in front of us right now? So this is a silver or white rum. Um, it's, it is actually listed as Sun Rum Silver uh, is the like bottle label, uh, even though it's from Sun Liquor. Um, it is your, your basic silver rum. Uh, it's, it's pretty good flavor in my opinion. Um, it's definitely better than your average, uh, just go find mass produced rum. But, uh, yeah. Cool. So yeah, if you're interested, you can check out some more information about Sun Liquor on sunliquor.com. I'll uh, go ahead and link that in the show notes. looks like Aaron's already diving in. So, uh, first sample, what do you think? Um, it's definitely your kind of standard silver rum. And that there's not an overpowering flavor of any sort. You get some sweetness. Um, I am not sure what else to call the flavors on that. It's it's because it hasn't been aged at all. There is some some small amount of I don't want to say harshness, but you get well, you get that uh, alcohol. Yeah, hit to the nose and the mouth yeah. initially, but it has a really nice. It mellows very quickly. Yeah, and. Uh, it's a little on the, uh, the, the, it's a little, I'm going to say oily in itself when it, in your mouth. It's not like, it feels pretty good in there. You see what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a, oh yeah. I had to take another sip to get you that. got a little but, distracted, yeah. forgot we were uh, recording. Mm-hmm. Or like, mm, mm-hmm. rum. rum, alcohol. I haven't had any yet today. Yeah. For those of you at home, this is actually kind of fun. Uh, we're recording a drinking podcast at like 9.30 in the morning <laughs> on a Saturday, so <laughs> cheers, right? <laughs> cheers to having a productive afternoon. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that's a really good representation of a silver Yeah, it's, it's, I, I really dug it, actually. What's the uh, price point on this? I have to take another sip there. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, no, I, the I want to say it's... $26 before tax. Well, that's not bad at all. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more expensive than, say, like a Bacardi. Um, like if you were to just go buy Bacardi Silver. Right. But now, I've had Bacardi Silver on a number of occasions, usually in an airplane, because <laughs> the uh, alcohol selection in an airplane is, uh, you know, limited. Unless someone packs you, like, you know, three-ounce pre-made cocktails. Yeah, next time I go on a flight, we're going to be having a chat. Okay, fair enough. How many three-ounce cocktails can you bring on an airplane? However many will fit in a one-quart Ziploc bag. Okay, we should talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so far, Sun Liquors, good, liked it. Um, and now we're going to move on to the Appleton Estate VX. Yeah, let me go pour that. I'll... Okay. Um, so Appleton is made in Jamaica, so we're now leaving the continental United States and heading off towards the warmer regions and climates. Um, it's got a nice golden color to it. It's uh, probably like a really light iced tea color. Uh, yeah, that's about right. And this is definitely a golden. I mean, I was, as far as I can tell from looking at it, um, it's not charred oak barrels that they're aging it in. Um, and this is a fairly, a fairly old distillery. Um, they've got some product that you can buy that's as old as... 30 year i think that you can get i believe that i was on their website earlier looking up and they have um they use sugarcane yes right so this is not a molasses base this is actual sugarcane 
Yes, that is my understanding as well. Um, I think all of the ones that we're actually on today are, are sugarcane-based um, as opposed to molasses-based. So I didn't even think about that, but we could have multiple shows on rums, do ones off sugarcane-based rums, one off molasses-based rums, and then a third show that is a uh, you know no-holds-barred, winner-takes-all. Okay. Figure out which one tastes better. That, that could do, yeah. The fun thing with that, too, is that like different... Different rum production from different areas will have different flavors, right? So the type right. of sugar that you are using is going to affect what your flavor of your um, rum is. We've so got sidetracked it again. But. Let's give this uh, Appleton a sample, see how it tastes. That's actually really smooth. There's a very, very small uh, kind of alcohol hit to your mouth when you have drink it but um what am i tasting here hold on i i would say that the the i mean it's hard to describe a taste on a podcast obviously but the 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 idea in my head is this would be similar to a this isn't quite as smooth and non-alcoholic as a like the alcohol hit to your nose as like a higher end bourbon or something along those lines, but definitely a like maybe a, a three or you know somewhere in the three to seven year aged bourbon where you've got a hit to it on your nose and you can definitely taste the alcohol, but there is a very very smooth like notes of caramel. Yeah, that's I've I've just been over here I'm wafting it and you can definitely smell caramel in there. You get a little bit of. Uh... Something almost uh, peppery is the wrong word for it, but there's a spice in there as well that I can't quite put my finger on. Yeah, I can, I can, I can I, smell that what you're talking about, but I don't know that I could, I could place it because it's not pepper, but it is no, kind of in that same vein though. It could be potentially a, a cinnamon of some sort. Th- uh, that's very likely, or nutmeg or something in in that range of spices. You know what we should do? We sh- actually have we. T- I know we've talked about this. We've talked about ways to taste on the show. Is there different ways to taste different alcohols, or is the approach that you take for wine pretty much applicable everywhere? As far as I understand, the approach you take for wine is pretty much so applicable anywhere. I know that. I know that there's some like. I forgot the right way of phrasing that, but I, I know that there are some small variations, but the idea is still kind of very similar um, of like, there's a video out there of one of the, I can't think of his name right now, but he's a, a pretty famous Scotch connoisseur, Scotch like critic. And he does this, this show on how to properly nose and taste a whiskey, a Scotch. And part of that is a nosing glass, right? You want to have something that can like direct the, the, aroma into a more power powerful condensing power thing. condensing thing right um it's just like the uh port glass that i was showed yeah. you last time you were over where if you haven't seen port glasses before imagine a very 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 small little fluted glass with a uh, built-in uh, glass straw that comes off the bottom so that you can drink the port um without having any of the nose because everybody that's drank port has recognized i'm sure at some point that when you take a mouthful of port and, you know, kick it back, it tastes very different than if you, say, use a straw. <laughs> I don't know how many people out there use straws with port. Buy some port glasses, you don't need to. And it actually brings out tons of complex flavors in the port. 
port would be a good thing to do a show on too. It would be. I don't know anything about port, so they'd be like you'd be the expert. I can for do a that. change. Yeah. For a change, please. <laughs> I'm always the expert, even when I'm ignorant. <laughs> so, yeah, Appleton, pretty yummy. I'm a fan. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's interesting. One of the reasons why I had suggested that when you showed me what you were actually available to get. Um. Yeah, we had a little uh, issue with uh, prepping for this show. Uh, for those of you that don't understand what I mean, prepping for the show means going to the liquor store. Yeah, exactly. And um, trying to find the liquors that we uh, had planned on sampling. And I had given you two that I knew you could find mm-hmm. at Total Wine. Correct. But I didn't actually get to go to the BevMo or Total Wine uh, near work because I forgot. So I went because to the one near my house. Because you had two drinking episodes before you came home. Th- yes, correct. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I still got out last night. I was actually excited. In case you guys haven't, like, don't go to Bevmo very often. They're open till ten o'clock at night. Yeah. So, like, on my way home, as I'm realizing that I forgot to stop by the liquor store, I'm like, "Damn it! I they're gonna be cl- wait. Bevmo's open till ten. Sweet. <laughs> let's go home, pick up the wife, the baby, grab some dinner, hit the Bevmo. That works." Uh, but one of the reasons why I chose an Appleton Estate from the ones that you showed me was there's actually uh, the Zane Lamprey episode of Three Sheets when he went to Jamaica was featuring Appleton, and, and they had a wide range of selections, so I figured that would be a good one to... Yeah, I've had Appleton before um, uh, as I go through um, different... decide As I have different tastes in alcohol, I'll just go to the store and go, hmm, okay, you're about 40 bucks, done. Yeah. You're mine. And I take it home and I try and have it and go, ooh, this is good. The fun thing with this one is, I mean, it's the right flavor profile for a lot of different rum-based drinks that are not just daiquiris, right? Oh, yeah. There's there's a good amount there's of— There's rum and Cokes. Oh, there's Jesus. There's daiquiris. There's rum and Coke cherry zeros. Like, there are tons of— op- You could even do a Dr. Pepper and Coke. Have you ever had that? I'm sorry, a Dr. Pepper and rum? I, I have because I told you about it. Um, and actually— Is that another show that I didn't listen to? Uh, no, this was before we did the show. So okay, because I was like, just out of Coke Cherry Zero the other night, so I had to put Dr. Pepper in. So along the idea of, of your really crappy cocktail selections there, actually, I mean, they're not bad, right? Like, they are what they are. But you can do um, a Cuba Libre, which is the same idea of a rum and Coke, except for just slightly slightly spruced up. There's some lime juice in it. Is really the only real difference. There's less Coke in it, um, so it's not as overpoweringly sweet. Right. And you get more of the actual alcohol flavor out of it when you're doing that. Oh, I get plenty of alcohol flavor. I don't That's know if you know how you, I mix rum and I Coke. I know how you mix rum and Coke. You this, you mix enough rum to fill your glass, and then you put some Coke in there for color. I just usually just take a drink of the Coke while I'm pouring the rum <laughs> and call it a day. Call it a day, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that's the same way I used to get um, gin and tonics at uh, uh, that bar. You you didn't ever do gin and tonic. Oh, you mean – oh, okay. <laughs> what you're talking about now. Yeah. Gin <laughs> And for those of you that can't actually see me because we're not live streaming this, I have my hands about 18 inches apart, possibly three feet, somewhere in there, and then tonic. My fingers are touching. So, uh, yeah, it was a great bar. That was only if if our bartender made them for us, but yes. Correct, because there's so many times I'm at the bar and the bartender's not making a drink for me. I meant our bartender. Right. But yeah. I know what you meant. Um, okay. So, Appleton uh, So Appleton VX, Awesome. Yeah, this is actually Go out really there, good. get it. It's a great drinking rum. It'll also mix very well in uh, daiquiris, Cuba Libres. Uh, what, what are some of the other... Actually, 
let's let's test the next rum and then we'll talk about the drinks that we would choose to make with the individual rums that we have today. That sounds that good. Does that sound good? Yeah. Great. So coming up next is the rum barbon cord. It's uh, eight year old rum from Haiti. So while Aaron's pouring the next drink, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, experience we actually just had because it was actually super interesting. So because we're uh, sampling multiple rums, we're going uh, and, you know, drinking our rum and then washing out the glass and then having more rum. With the Appleton, when we did the uh, cleaning of the glass and you just had some water in there, there was a really just amazing sort of mapley flavor that came out that was not anything that I noticed while I was drinking. Yeah, I didn't notice that either until that exact same thing. Like it, you could smell more of a maple smell, and there was definitely a a, a syrupy maple yeah and flavor it, to it. It was actually really impressive because I've done lots and lots and lots and lots of alcohol tasting in my time. You know, with emptying glasses, getting water in them, cleaning them out, having some crackers to cleanse your palate. I have never actually had an experience where the previous alcohol was still so prominent once you started the wash cycle. Yeah, that was that was a new one for me as well. So this, as we talked about, is the rum bobbin or barbing court. Um, it's it's spelled slightly differently, and like I was kind of going to use that as a way of bringing this up. The uh, I love how you had a plan, but you felt the evil. Um, villain requirement to talk about your evil plan. It wasn't an evil plan. It was just a plan. It was a thought. I didn't know how to bring it up until like you had to not get the rums I told you to buy, and I'm like, oh, well, that, well that'll be a perfect segue. You know, there's so much of the show that's going to be edited out. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and editing. Ding, dick. <laughs> so we've got the uh, rum barbancore right here. And you were going to say it's spelled rum differently, yes. R-H-U-M. And that is uh, a traditional way of, of noting the difference between um, rum, spelled R-U-M, that is distilled based off of the byproduct of producing refined sugar, the molasses or whatnot, versus um, rum agricola, which is um, spelled R. H-U-M, and is produced from the sugarcane explicitly. So it's not a byproduct. It is actually using the sugarcane intentionally to make the rum. And you get, you obviously are going to get different flavors when you do that, right? Because you're not using, molasses in itself is uh, a stickier, has a has a, a different flavor profile than refined sugar, obviously. It's, it's a, an acquired profile and something that people use in, in other things intentionally. But it has a, a richer, kind of thicker flavoring to it than you would with uh, straight sugar. So, if uh, R H U M is the appropriate way to indicate that you have used sugarcane as your base, not you know the industrial waste byproduct of molasses, whatever. Um, why don't more people spell like why? Why when I think of rum, does it spell R U M in my head? Marketing. Marketing. Yeah. So this is actually just a throwback to a simpler time where folks were a little bit more crisp, a little more clean, and could actually transmit more meaning in a, a simple fashion. Sure. You're impressed, aren't you? Not really. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Trying to waste airspace, and there you I, go, calling I, me it's, out. It's really hard to get impressed with you when you, like, you, you, you... When I highlight how awesome I am all the fucking time? No, you have this, like, specific look... And tone in your voice that switches over when you when you go from it's podcast voice. Fuck you. No, not that. I'm talking. I've seen this at work. I'm talking about you go from 
just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Zach to I'm going to be smart and articulate now, and all of a sudden I'm in mahogany and well, I have rich to put on my, I have to put on my uh, my suit coat, my sport coat with the uh, you know elbow pads. I have it. never seen you in a sport coat. That's actually not dude. True. That's not true. You see me in sports <laughs> coats a lot. <laughs> so let's give this. Did you say rum? I'm just calling it rum. Rum. Okay. Let's give this rum a shot. Uh, Barbancore, eight year old from Haiti. So this is a little bit darker in color than the Appleton. Just nah, maybe not. It's, Actually, it's, it's not about a whole the same. Lot darker. It's a little bit. It might be a little bit. There is a little bit more if you do the like. I mean, like it's the same idea of legs. I think that's a, which is complete and utter bullshit. By the way. Well, yeah, but it, I, I mean, I get that it's bullshit, but it still is an indication of like oil level. I think it would be a better way of not oil rather viscosity. That's the word I wanted. Good job. Um, Are you going to talk about cast or like oil next? <laughs> no, um, but like there's just like a viscosity level to it that that it's a little bit a little bit more viscous. See, I can I can I can pull out the big words too. Viscous is short. It's not very long at all. Okay, so give the rum a shot. That's the four foot tall man. Hey, three and a half. Mm. Initial taste on that. Is absolutely amazing. Um, like it, I, I don't know how to de- describe that very well, but like that first taste is like super vanilla. Um, not in a sweet way either. It's just it's like it's not over, like none of these have been overly sweet. No, none of the, these are all well balanced rums that aren't sweet. Which right? is I mean, actually they're, something they're that, sweet, but they're not overly sweet. Which they is something to be that. said for rum. Which like people usually think of rum as oh, it's this really super sweet li- liquor that like I don't want to drink because it's going to get me super hungover because of how much sugar is in right. there. But I mean, the, yeah, the, these have actually been very very well balanced on the sugar, not very high. I've had white wines that are way higher in sugar content, but the vanilla notes here are obvious. But there's something else that I'm just not able to put my finger on. You could try putting your tongue on it instead. Uh, <laughs> well, this should really be a pod, a video cast just for those kind of moments. It really should. We should, we could try and do a video cast once. I don't know that you really can't. We've got the camera here. Yeah, We're we well do. practiced at it. We you saw the lights earlier. We used it for I, the photos. It's true. I mean, we could we could try it once. It would it'd be interesting as a uh, watch Aaron make a cocktail. I guess. That would be awesome. Can we do it in like a fifties style so that you're like. Today, Aaron just got home from work. <laughs> now he's moving into his uh, study where he keeps his cocktail shaker. That's a mighty nice cocktail shaker, Aaron. As long as you want to do the voiceover, then we can go for it. I can even like just do like the random like not talking and like stupid grins. Can but... you do the like turn to the camera and Ding. wink? Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's my favorite move in all movies. <laughs> So uh, we get distracted so easily. <laughs> yes, we do. The and it's because I'm like so happy about this rum. I can't even describe it. The uh, rum Babincourt, which is what we're drinking, is very very smooth. There's almost no alcohol overpoweredness. Mm-mm. You have a very uh, uh, I'm working really hard not to say yummy. Damn it! Because <laughs> now I have to edit that. Fuck. Yummy. That's uh, the first we'll one. There. That's the first one. That's that was good. Like you waited a long time today. Yes, I did. I was I was expecting it to come out like at the very first alcohol. 
I, I, I held it in. It was, it was, I was working at it. I could, I could see. I mean, I feel bad for our guests or for our listeners because I'm really fucking up the drinking game because they don't get the drink as often when I don't say yummy. But there was smoke coming out of your head and everything. Yeah, and again, like... it's a, it's a visual cue. Um, the vanilla is there, but there's also a. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna have some more and see what it is. I don't. I, I know that there's another. It's not caramel. There's no like real overtones of caramel in this. Like, like I, I. I know that there's going to be a little bit just from from aging it in oak. Yeah, but. it's almost a smoky flavor that I'm picking up here. It's the Appleton was definitely a little bit more in the. Um. I, I don't want to say molasses because it's not molasses, but that whole kind of warm sugar feel. Warm sugar, a little bit brighter flavor overall. Right. Um, but a little this, bit more caramelly. Um, yeah. This has a more vanilla, a little more. Um, right. Yeah, smoky is the best I got because there's something that balances out the vanilla in a really nice way. That it because vanilla can be overpowering. Yeah. But you definitely don't get that here. You have a very nice mix of. Um. What I'm terming smoky, I don't know if there's a better word, and I should really stop holding liquor over my laptop while I do that. I don't really don't know that I could call this. It's not I, smoky in the way that uh, whiskey is smoky. It's or, not, but I can I can see what you're saying now as kind of the the mouth finish, right? So you've had the sip, you've swallowed, right. and then you get this this flavor finish that comes off that is definitely more. It, it's. Complex. I mean, there's. I, <laughs> I was about to say that, but damn it, you beat me there. <laughs> uh, we should really get like just a list of words and write them up on the wall that we can use to describe, so we don't use the same fucking five words over and over. It would be a good idea. At the same time, I feel like it kind of like ruins our authenticity of being dorks when it comes to not right, really knowing anything about right. alcohol while having an alcohol podcast. But alcohol is yummy. It is. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great because it was like. <laughs> That was Zach. That was actually Zach, not holding back the yummy. <laughs> Currently cursing myself. <laughs> Working so hard. It's so difficult. Okay, so what's up next? Uh, next up is the uh, Zacapa. Now, if I remember right, I received a text from you last night going, mm, Zacapa is so yummy. Yes, I, I could not resist the desire to taste it last night. So I, <laughs> it doesn't count when I'm quoting you. I, I didn't F say <laughs> I didn't say yummy. So we can look up the you text. Just did I didn't say yummy in the text last night? Do I need to include the text in the show notes? Go for it. <sighs> okay, so let's break out the zacapa. Uh, it's a Guatemalan rum made in Guatemala. That's what so that means. It is a good job. Yeah. It's a dark rum. It's also a sugar cane. Um, they make them the point of calling it a virgin sugar cane, so it would be the same idea of a rum agricola of not being a byproduct. And it has one of the more interesting things about this one is that it is aged in the hills of Guatemala. So it is actually... Um, I think it's the the barreling facility is twenty three hundred meters in the air. I don't know what that is in feet. That's like over a mile, though. I'm, yeah, because sixteen hundred meters is a mile. Yeah, so so twenty three is like a mile and a half, give or take. Yeah, so that's you know up in the hills, and so that supposedly the altitude will make a difference on the flavoring profile. Um, but yeah, I will I will go pour that. Uh, 
my, my science brain is having an issue here. What would altitude have to do with the aging process? Because that's just, I guess, yeah, I can't make up anything out of the blue for that. I'm going to have to go do some research. So while we were pouring, um, given today's uh, format of the show, we've been uh, sampling a lot of alcohols. And um, there are some rules that have been drilled into me that uh, I, I, because apparently I have hard times with these things, uh, I, I just ended up in a situation that I just didn't know what to do with. So um, Aaron was polite enough to pour me some more alcohol. And, uh, you know, we cleaned glasses to do cheers. And all of a sudden, I was stuck with a conundrum. I needed to set my drink down in order to put my headphones on so we could continue the show. But I also wanted my first drink to be on the show. So I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my God, do I be rude and not drink? Or do I ruin the podcast by drinking before I can actually have a, you know, actual response to the alcohol on the air? I decided to be rude. I told him to be rude. So, you know, Okay, so we now have the Zacapa. This is a uh, Guatemalan, and it's uh, apparently aged in over, uh, you know, mile and a half up in the air, which we're still not sure how that actually impacts anything. Well, I, the only thing I can think of is, is temperature and oxygen count, right? Like, I don't know how the oxygen level would affect aging, but, like, that's the only thing I can think of. I don't know if pressure affects it, right? Because that high up, right. you're going to have less pressure as well. That could potentially do it as well, yes. So the Zacapa is a dark rum, right? It is a dark rum. It's, it's darker than any of the ones we've sampled so far. It's also, um, the bottle is 23. Um, and unlike, unlike scotch, which you can um, basically label for an aging of whatever the youngest is in a barrel. And by the youngest in the barrel, you mean as they've mixed in multiple... Um, uh, rounds of distilling. Yes. So as as you mix in multiple rounds of distilling and, and you decide you're going to barrel age or you're going to bottle something that you've been aging for a while, um, when you make a batch up, it can be legally called the age of whatever the youngest is. This is called whatever the oldest is. So this is a blend of a blend of ages between the age of six and twenty three years. Okay. And I know we've talked before about blends, but just a quick recap in case you're first listener. Um, the reason that uh, distilleries or wineries or folks go with blends is so that they can ensure they get a more consistent flavor profile that hits exactly what they expect, right? Like yeah. if you're drinking, and God, I hope you're not, if you're drinking Jack Daniels, everybody can tell what Jack Daniels is in a blind taste test just handed a shot glass because Jack Daniels tastes the same every time. Yeah, and they do that by being able to blend a number of barrels and caramels and coloring and various other things to make it look and taste exactly the same every single time. Right. So it's a consistency thing. And I totally get it. Like if you're producing a product, you want to make sure that anytime somebody goes to grab your alcohol off the shelf, that it is top notch exactly what they want, right? Yeah. And aging adds a whole other complexity to that. I mean, like taking the example of, of this being aged a mile and a half in the air, your weather patterns for that are not entire, consistent every year. Yeah, they're not consistent every year. So let, let's say you have a really cold year one year and a really hot year the other year. That's going to play a difference into how much the wood expands. And <laughs> that was awesome. That would have been a perfect example of, of the live podcast. Zach finally took a, a, a nose of 
the rum and his expression coming off was one of just shock and awe uh this smells amazing doesn't it there is absolutely no indication of alcohol at all there is like just really subtle notes of everything going on all very well balanced there's there's cinnamon and vanilla very much so apparent the cinnamon and vanilla are right at the forefront there um, there's I almost want to say it's crap, clove. This smells awesome. But there's some others like not quite clove, but along that line. Like I don't what <laughs> you've been dating emo chicks again. You smell their clove cigarettes and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're hilarious. Uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna dive in and taste this. Uh, carry on with your uh, whatever the fuck you were talking about. I don't remember now either. Other than like the variations, uh, variations, oh, the variations of blends, of blends and weather, and, and, and yeah, so yeah, you listen to the show. So the the idea of of blending it together to get like a consistent flavor. So this was the rum that I had last night. Uh, I I could not hold myself back from trying it last night because I figured why not. And uh, my text message to Zach was I believe almost word for word this Zacapa rum is just oh my god it's so good it's good shit I think as I said. Um, but at any rate, I, I poured a glass and you weren't kidding. I yeah. just had my first drink of this. This is amazing. I, I will take this over a whiskey almost any day of the week. Like, like I, I love my bourbon. Don't this get me wrong. This to me is dangerous. This is the kind of thing that I could probably polish off a whole bottle and be like, I'm fine. It, it's not sweet. Yeah, there's, I, there's the element you can taste that there's the element of sweetness or sugar or something in the background, but it is not sweet. No. Like, um... I want to draw a distinction here between what this is and what I've drank before. So if you've had Kraken, right? Kraken is um, very sweet. It's a dark rum. It's a dark spiced rum. It's a dark spiced rum, yes. Very similar to Captain Morgan's dark spiced rum. Correct. And if you have two or three Captain or uh, two or three of the Krakens, you start to get that little feeling in your tummy like, I have eaten way too much sugar. Yes. I could have a lot of this and never hit the too much sugar feel. Yes. Because while it is, while while there is a component of sweet to it, it's an understated sweet. Yeah. Um, And it is just phenomenally great. I I think that people, conceptually people realize that all alcohol is sugar. Like everything you do for alcohol is sugar. Oh, the sugar becomes alcohol. Well, yeah, but, (gasps) but that's, they can make ice cream alcohol. That would be great. But I mean, that's my, that's my point, right? Of, of the sugar becomes the alcohol, and where you get your sugar from matters in the sense that it creates the differences in your flavors. That's how come right. a wheat grain sugar is going to taste different than a corn versus a rye versus um, right. That's why we have all of the wonderful varieties of alcohol we have. Exactly. So starting with sugar cane just means that you've like I'm I'm starting with sugar. I'm just going to straight up say here's sugar. So. I think that's where a lot of the the idea that rum is overly sweet comes from. It's also where the a lot of the poor quality or masking quality rums are overly sweet because they're trying to hit that profile of this is supposed to be a sweet drink. This this isn't sweet. This is smooth. This is no. Notes this is amazing. Vanilla, what it is. vanilla, caramel. There's 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 cinnamon in there. Um, there is just this really great flavor of like I could drink this, and so like I poured 
I poured myself a glass of this just straight to try and taste it. I tasted it and I'm like, oh, this is this is good. I I can't I can't indulge too much in this tonight. And I ended up having like I think three drinks off of it. Um, like three. I made three cocktails off of it. But well, that was going to be my. I, I think that's where we should go next because this um, hands down is the best rum I think I've ever had. And you know I've drank a fair amount of rums. We've had some really good rums today, but this is just a standout, uh, head and shoulders above the rest kind of uh, drink. And part of the reason for the well, – so going to the idea of what cocktails to make with this. It occurred to me while drinking this that um, it is a perfect example of this could be replaced for the whiskey in any whiskey-based cocktail – and it would probably work just fine. There are some examples where that might not be 100% true, but... Like a Jack and Coke. <laughs> I, I, I love I, it when I break Aaron, because he's just sitting there going, I fucking hate you, and I have no idea why you're doing this podcast with me. Yeah, yeah that's about how that works. Um, but, like... Um, okay, a, a better example. Right. What What is a whiskey-based cocktail that would actually be great with this in it? So... You know how much I love Amaro's. Yes. I actually have been sitting over here trying to find a way to bring Amaro's up because uh, the better Amaro's are kind of in the same range as this. Yeah, fair enough. That's true, actually. Um, so w- one of my favorite Amaro-based drinks is the Boulevardier. Um, it is bourbon, Campari, and sweet vermouth. It's also a Negroni is the same idea with... Um, with gin, uh, Campari, and sweet vermouth, and that's the, that's the one that's that's definitely more well known, right? Like almost everyone knows what a Negroni is, or I shouldn't say that. I should I should more likely point out that you'll find it on cocktail menus more often than not. You'll see a Negroni, but you won't see a Boulevardier. Um, I've had rum Negronis before, and oftentimes on the menu they'll just call them a rum, rum Negroni. It turns out there actually is a name. I went looking for it. It was just called a Kingston Negroni, which was not. Super fancy, or uh, is like, that because Kingston is the name of a place in, in Jamaica? Jamaica, yeah, right. Um, but you take that same idea of you, and that was my last drink from last night. Was I? I made a rum Negroni, a Kingston Negroni, based off of this rum, Campari, and sweet vermouth, and you get you get the same type of idea of complexity that you get from the Boulevardier that you will acquire from having a. Um, an aged spirit as your base, but you get all of those notes that come out in this particular rum come out in that Negroni as well. I mean, you get the bitterness from the Campari and you get, you get that same Amaro flavor from the sweet vermouth Campari mixture that you were expecting, but you get some vanilla notes. You get a little bit more of a sweetness that you wouldn't expecting. But again, it's this underlying sweetness that's not it's not actually sweet. I don't know how, how to describe that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's hard to describe because anytime you say sweet, people are going to think, you know, apple pie, caramel apple, all of those really overly sweet things. But this is a sweet almost like you would get in... Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate, yes. So you have a bunch of complex flavors, but you also have a sweetening agent that is uh, mellowing the kind of harsher notes. Not if that there's a harsher note in here at all. Everything in here is just <laughs> tight. 
But if you go with something that is like, you know, let's say at least 70% dark, right? That's that's a dark enough chocolate where it's not necessarily sweet. You have sweet aspects to it, but you have a whole lot of complexity and some bitterness and some other aspects that make for a very balanced chocolate, makes for a very balanced uh, uh, spirit as well, right? You have some some amount of sweetness that you can definitely note, but that it's not overly powering. So um, this room is phenomenal in case I've been unclear on that yet. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go have to buy myself some now and put this in my drink, um, you know, when you want to have good alcohol. Yeah. Because, wow. And so this would be mm, – there are definitely some drinks that this is going to shine in better than others, right? And there's some drinks that you wouldn't necessarily want to use this in. Um, I think that this is probably – the complexity of the alcohol and the flavor profile and price point for this would get lost if you then went and made a dark and stormy, right? Which is rum, ginger beer, and lime juice. The ginger beer and lime juice is going to overpower the subtlety that you'll find in right. this. Right. This is one of the ones where you'd want the alcohol to be f- more forward in the flavor. Yeah. Like, for, for instance, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Old fashions, right? Yeah. You want to have a good base for your old fashioned because it's really the base that you want to bring out and highlight. This is the same kind of thing where you don't want to put it in a overly sweet, masking, citrusy kind of drink, yeah. right? You really want to be able to taste the base spirit. And that's exactly what I did last night. I started off with I, I poured myself a, a two ounce pour. Um, I chilled it slightly because I was I was I, t- I tasted it first pre chilled and then I chilled it slightly. Um, and for those of you playing at home, it is actually amazing how much uh, change will happen just from a temperature change in the uh, spirit, right? Yeah. Because you can go from – and this is a horrible example. I'm going to talk about a spirit that I absolutely fucking hate, Jägermeister. <laughs> Jägermeister is appallingly bad and nobody should ever goddamn drink it. You definitely should never drink it warm. Yes. Jägermeister is horrible room temperature. Um, as it cools down, it is less horrible. <laughs> it is still fucking horrible, and you should never drink it. I think a good— But it becomes almost partially palatable if you're super fucking drunk. Well, and it's funny because, like, so much of flavor is is smell, right? Like, I think it's—is it 90 or 95% of flavor is smell? 300% according to Wikipedia. Uh, okay, um, I was trying to be somewhat factual, but um, dude, I'm factual. Yeah, okay, sure. I, I just updated Wikipedia, so it said that. <laughs> but the uh, you, you take the idea of like I, I've heard the example before of taking a rose, like a, a fully um, fully in bloom rose, and you smell it by itself, and you have all of the smells that come out of the rose. Take that exact same rose, throw it in the freezer and wait 24 hours, come back and try and smell it, and you're going to have almost no smell at all. And that's because the the act of freezing it has reduced the, um, I mean, there's more of a scientific term for it than this, but basically the act of freezing it has reduced what you actually can, the aroma, to such a point that there's no smell. If you imagine doing that with alcohol, of like taking that same exact, exact extremes, I have seen someone take a relatively moderate, London dry gin 
throw it in the freezer, and you try and take a sip from it, and you could... Most people would not be able to tell the difference between that and vodka. Because Well, because that's so going to flatten much, out all of the notes in the yeah. gin to the point where there's almost nothing available for smell at all. Exactly. So you do that, and, and all of a sudden you have a completely different flavor. And if you, do, if you just chill it, now you can chill it in all sorts of different ways. Um, stirring it with ice and then straining it out. Adding an ice cube or two is also completely fine. Um, using the like marble stones that you can buy that are, that are available all over the place now for um, – they're, they're usually referred to as whiskey stones. Where you throw them in the freezer, they get super cold. You throw them in there, they add no water to the, uh, the beverage. Yeah, it keeps but, it from uh, becoming uh, – oh, crap. What's that word? Uh, diluted? Diluted, thank Is you. Is that yeah. the word you're looking for? That's the one. Uh, so do you have whiskey stones? I do. You do? I, I haven't used them, and, and they're, not even, they're not even in a refrigerator uh, or in the freezer right now. Um, I actually – I've come to appreciate the aspect of adding a single ice cube and how that affects the um, flavoring profile as it starts to melt. I generally go with a single very large ice cube. So like the glasses that we're using here today, I'm going to guess these are somewhere between 10 and 12 ounces is what their total volume could possibly be. Yeah, but if you fill 80% of that up with an ice cube? With a single ice cube, yeah. yeah. one ice cube. It doesn't, the, the dissolution factor becomes so much it's, lower. Yeah. But you still get a little bit of a benefit of having some water to it. Like it was a, a tasting that I did at the Talisker distillery in Scotland that really showed to me the aspect of adding, here, just try adding a couple of drops of, distilled water and add a couple more drops and just you can kind of taste and smell and you get a it opens up the boutique the bu- bouquet boutique? wow wow you're trying to say bukkake yeah. Uh, yeah i now know way too much about you <laughs> yeah you do um bouquet there we go that's the word i was looking for um i don't know where the other one came out um but at any rate uh it opens up the bouquet which opens up the flavor which opens up the the taste right so but this, yeah, this was great. I, I started off with just uh, two ounces, tried it. It was really tasty. I added a, a single large ice cube to see how it would taste, a little bit chilled, and it was still very, very good, and it made me just want to sit on the back porch and smoke a cigar type thing. Now, have we talked on the podcast before about the company that is making um, artisan ice? No, okay. I don't think so. So um, of the many things I look at on the inter- internet – one of them is there's actually a guy that runs a bar. I should probably look this up and come up with it. But is he trying to sell artisan ice? He's selling artisan ice. At, he started it at his bar. How do right? you sell artisan ice online? So, well, you don't sell it online. You sell it locally to people near you. Okay, he's that's got, a little yeah, bit more believable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's got a whole process baked where you basically get a perfect cube of ice. like absolutely yeah. clear ice. Mm-hmm. He's gone out and he's bought. Uh, some specialized machines. He ages yep. the ice and um, then has <laughs> okay. a specialized cutting process. Well, so um, for those of you playing at home, ice um, tends to, well, expand as it gets older, right? But as you leave ice out, it contracts a little bit. And you, um, if you try and cut ice fresh right as it's frozen, you're going to get a lot of shearing. You're mm-hmm. going to get cracking. You're going to get a lot of options. If you take the ice out, leave it in a cold environment, it tends to kind of 
solidify a little more and enables you to cut it in much more precise and uh, clean ways. So he has actually uh, gone out of his way for his bar because he was, you know, in, in the exact same area you're talking about. He's like, I want to have a great fucking cocktail. I need to be able to control everything I can. And yeah, sure, if you order a cocktail at my bar and you want the, you know, artisan ice, it's going to cost you an extra five bucks. If you're the kind of person that's drinking, I don't know, it might have been one or two dollars. I don't remember how much he was charging, whatever. Yeah. But if you're actually looking for that extended experience with a really solid base spirit and you want that flavor to come out and you don't want it to be um, muddled by anything else. Yeah. I can see spending an extra buck or two bucks. Like, I mean, let's be serious. Cocktail prices are fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, you're at a good cocktail bar, you're looking at anywhere from a 10 cheap- to $12 a drink. For lower end ones, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, the minimum bar of entry is 10 or $12. Yeah. So when you start to ratchet it up with specialized um, extended liquor, a, a couple bucks for an, a more precise ice cube, meh, it doesn't feel that wildly out of uh, sync. I, I wouldn't say that's wildly out of sync. I, I, I do think that there's – so let me rephrase this. Ice does matter, and ice, good ice can make make the presentation as well as as the dissolution rate and a bunch of other things become an actual issue that is interesting to look at. Having said that, I don't think that spending an insane or inordinate amount of time around trying to do something super special or fancy with ice is necessarily needed. Well, needed versus what people are willing to pay for are two completely separate That's discussions. completely true. Um, and I, I was just trying to find the article that I was reading about it. And um, sometimes when you read Google, you almost don't even need to do anything else. You're going to stop there. Uh, the third response on my Google query was, lay off the artisanal ice, you ignorant hipsters. That is partially my response, yes. Yes, which is weird because you're a fucking hipster. You've got the glasses, the beard, the the, the vests, everything. <laughs> okay. So I, I've been called hipster so much. I, I'm like I whatever. Right. I mean, you have a podcast for Christ's sake. Let's be serious. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> can I make the next drink then? Yes. So actually, before we go make the next drink, which I can't even believe I said that, um, let's talk about what kind of drinks you would actually make with rum. So oh, we've yeah. now found ourselves an amazing rum. Right, mm-hmm. like actually, all of the rooms we had today were great. They were all. I'm they not, were all I'm not great, taking anything yeah. away from any of them. So, but when it comes to making a drink, you have to make a decision, right? There's some drinks that are going to be um, spirit forward, and some that the spirit's going to drop into the background. Now, my expectation is that after you've found a rum that is just so amazing that you want to really highlight that flavor, what kind of drinks are you going to make with that rum? Uh, that's that's kind of a tough one, right? Like so. Because the different styles of rum are going to make a difference on what you want to do with it. Like this last rum, the Negroni is an amazing beverage out of it. Um, it Kingston Negroni, whatever. Um, the I made an old fashioned out of it. Like I, I straight up just made an old oh, fashioned. I can see that, um, and, it, and it turns out amazing, right? Um, I used uh, I used a barrel aged, or not barrel aged. I used an, a kind of a. It's a regional – I wish I could remember the bottle right now. It was, uh, um, someone brought it back for me from Texas, and it was a really perfect um, 
a, a perfect bitters to go in as opposed to Angostura bitters. Um, humorously, Angostura would make a really good bitters to add to anything um, just because it is from Trinidad and Angostura also makes a rum. So you're now uh, going and just regionally sinking your entire drink so that your rum is coming from the same place that your bitters are coming from. You could. Can yeah. we get the water from there as well? I, I suppose you could probably try and do that. You could also, you could distinctly get the sugar from there. Uh-huh. Rum, get it. Uh, at any rate, um, he's giving me a look now. I'm not following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can do other things with it. I mean, there are... A lot of drinks have come from a, a specific style that rum is great in. Um, some of the more well-known ones would be daiquiris, would be mojitos. Uh, Tiki-style drinks all use rum. I don't know that I would necessarily want to use something as refined as this last rum, the Zacapa rum. I wouldn't know that I'd want to use that in a Tiki-style drink uh, just because well, that's such a – It's a – it's a it's not the right rum to use for that experience. And the Tiki-style drinks are usually going – for a very well-balanced, and I, I don't mean this in the way it's going to sound, but childish drink. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love, like, and I'm going to go ahead and call out a particular tiki-style drink that I may or may not have had a lot of in my time. But if you go to um, The Rock, the pizza place, right, mm-hmm. you can get a bucket. Which is essentially a tiki-style drink. It's a tiki-style drink. It's made with five different rums. Uh, some kind of citrus juice and well, that's it, right? Yeah. So you get a little bucket. It's got a whole bunch of ice. It's got some fruit dumped in it and it's a great drink. I like, I love them when I'm, you know, sitting there with the family and I'm picking out on pizza and just having a good time, but it's not a sophisticated drink, right? It's a drink that's going to taste very, very good. Kind of in the high C flavor profile. It's maybe Capri Sun. Sun. <laughs> Capri Sun, I guess. Yeah, it's that, in yeah. the Capri Sun High C range. It's definitely not in the you know two hundred year old wine style range. And that's the thing that where you're mixing multiple types of rum, you don't necessarily want to mix a rum that you're trying to you're trying to profile, right? Like, um, and all right, that's what it goes to. If you're looking to highlight the rum flavor. You want to pick a drink that is going to highlight the rum flavor. Whereas hmm. if you're looking to really hit the citrusy notes and just have a generally good uh, punch, as it were. Amazing punches, and if they're done well, can be extremely well balanced. And um, like a really good – I'm going to pronounce this horribly. Oleosacrum? Sacra? Something like that? I, I think it's oleosacrum. I'm horrible with that. I should look that up and before I spout it for the internet, but whatever. Um, and it's a, it is a punch base that is usually uh, lemon zests and sugar that you then um, oleosaccharum is what you're looking for. That's the one. Sacrum is the little bone at the yes. base of your spine. Yes, it is. Um, I thought that was base of your skull. Is it your spine? Craniosacral work works from the base of your skull to the base of your spine. Whatever. Bam. New age hippie shit right there. And I'm the hipster. Yeah. Um, right. At any rate. Uh, like I can't help that you're an ignorant hipster. <laughs> fair enough. That's that's a really great example of a, of a punch and a punch base where a good rum can actually play a difference in how well that c- comes out as a good drink. But you still wouldn't want to necessarily use a great rum where you're trying to show the flavor off. Good examples of things to show the flavor off with, though, is like any drink that you're making that is 
some sort of of spirit forward and doesn't have a lot of citrus or other juices to it. So um, I could see making like the idea of a rum sour. So uh, like a whiskey sour is usually uh, whiskey, lemon or lime juice, depending on flavoring profiles, uh, a sugar and an egg white. You do the exact same thing with a rum and you will have that same flavoring profile of being able to determine what rum you used would make a difference to how that sour comes out. But going a step further and mixing it with amaros or mixing it with uh, herbal liqueurs. Um, I, I saw a drink uh, that was bourbon-based, but it had liqueur. It's been, it had like a uh, – no, it didn't have liqueur. It had a um, – vermouth and a shrub so a vinegar-based flavoring profile um and that mixed with the bourbon was really really good if you were to try and do something like that with a rum i could come out very well as well so if you were to use some sort of i don't know let's say you were to make like a strawberry shrub and then you could have some sort of strawberry rum mixed drink that would end up tasting fairly good depending on what you mixed it with, there's all sorts of like, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for there? Flavor profiles? Flavor profiles works. I was going to go with variables that came to me after you said that, but uh, like there's a bunch of different like options on that, on how that would come out. Um, And if you were listening to that whole uh, diatribe and going, what the fuck is a shrub? You should check out our uh, episode number two, where we actually discuss what shrubs are and how they can be used in making cocktails. (laughs) I like how much effort you put into self-referencing to us. So let's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you came prepared today for not only us to sample four rums, but for us to actually sample a uh, drink that I think is probably much maligned. Like, I'm not going to lie. The only daiquiris that I have had have been, um, how do you call them, atrocious? This is true. Because uh, most places are going to go ahead and make a daiquiri wrong. They're going to grab some daiquiri mix. They're going to grab some crushed ice. They're going to grab some rum. They're going to dump it all in a glass and hand it to you. And maybe put some pineapple on the edge. That sounds all about like what you'd see. And oftentimes they end up looking like some sort of like 7-Eleven slurpy slushy. Correct. And yeah. usually like it's and strawberry. So it's a strawberry way, daiquiri. I was talking about the swanky daiquiris. Oh. Not the ones that come out of the machine. Yes. Because I've yes. been at resorts where like... Oh, we've got uh, pina coladas and daiquiris, and there's like a fucking slurpy machine standing over there with, you know, pina colada on one side and uh, daiquiris on the other. (laughs) And which is uh, an appalling abomination of an actually good drink. It is an an amazing, appalling, yes, abomination. It is. Yeah, it it is just a huge disservice to actually a respectable drink that done well is really good. Yes, I agree. So today, we are going to have uh, daiquiri number three. Yes, and, and I'm going to go make that. And when I come back, cool. as you're tasting it, I'm going to tell you everything about it. Great. Okay, and we're back. We now each have our very own daiquiri in front of us. Yes, we do. Now, this daiquiri that we're drinking is a tiny modification on your typical daiquiri. So why don't you explain to us what's normally in a daiquiri and then what we have in front of us today? All right, so a daiquiri is normally just rum, lime juice, and sugar. 
Usually so in the form of simple syrup, but it's right in the same ballpark as a tequi- or as a uh, margarita. Then, margarita or a gimlet, right? Actually, I, I was listening to a different podcast the other day, and it was it was hilarious because it was on rum, and they were talking about. Um, Wait, you listened to a whole podcast on rum and came with the week shit that you brought today? So it was a thirty minute podcast, largely about. Um, a particular distillery in New York that was making rum. Okay, I'll give you a buy this time. But next time you decide to listen to somebody else's podcast to uh, prep for ours, I wasn't prepping you for better ours. come prepared. It like, was just seriously. one that I normally listen to. Uh, what's the podcast? Uh, the Speakeasy. The Speakeasy. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm assuming it's a great podcast because you listen to it. Yeah, it's, they've got. Uh, it's a bartender in New York, and he talks to various other different bartenders and producers of alcohol, things along those lines. Um, and they were talking about. Uh, they were they were actually talking about mostly daiquiris was where the conversation came up a lot for that entire thirty minutes and it was a daiquiri most bartenders absolutely love them uh, and people like you said it's, it's a mush maligned drink because people usually think of a daiquiri as this red or pink slushy swirl thing that comes out right and that's definitely not what's in front of us today no this is just you know three and a half ounces four ounces or so of liquid. Um, and the the difference – and it was funny because like he had made the comment about when going someplace where he wasn't positive that the bartender would know to make a good daiquiri or that he was trying to get someone to try a daiquiri, he was calling them rum gimlets because a gimlet is just gin, right. lime juice, and sugar. It's a way to kind of game the system such that a person doesn't give you a horrible drink. Yes, exactly. That's a brilliant idea, actually. So I've actually linked the Speakeasy podcast in the show notes, so folks will be able to check that out. I am now going to dive into our – you said this was daiquiri number three. Daiquiri number three. Now, what's the number three there? So similar to how corpse survivors have different numbers for different tastes and whatnot, there is a – there's a number of different daiquiri recipes. And in the Caribbeans, especially in the 30s and 40s, there was tons of daiquiri recipes. Daiquiri number three came from a particular bartender, uh, Constantino, I don't remember his last name, uh, from the Floridita Bar in Havana, Cuba. And it is also what is going to typically, most people would recognize as a Hemingway daiquiri. Um, the difference being that, because uh, Hemingway drank a ton of them, but he always ordered them without sugar and double the rum. A man after my own heart. So what do you like, think of this? Literally. <laughs> <laughs> like that guy's style. Uh, this is awesome. I'm trying to – so there's some finishing notes that are a little bit more on the grapefruity side. That's because I there's grapefruit juice in there. That would answer that question because when I take the initial sip, and I'm going to do that right now. Well, my second initial sip because I already tried it. Initially, you get – um some lime flavor to it. You get the nice, uh, which rum did we use for this? Uh, this is the sun liquor several. This is silver. A, this is a sun liquor. Yep. Oh, wow. Um, you get a nice smooth rum flavor to it. I mean, you get the, so you get a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of rum, and then there's a nice grapefruit finish. Um, ooh, excuse me. Which is hilarious. Cause hilarious. Cause hate I hate grapefruit. grapefruit. <laughs> like grapefruit is one of those things that I'm like, grapefruit. 
I intentionally but, made this drink without telling you there was grapefruit in it until after you tried it. Did you think I wasn't going to notice the grapefruit there? Uh, I didn't think you would not notice it. I thought that you would have a hard time not saying you liked it. No, no, no. I'm like, I'm so my overall issue with grapefruit is that grapefruit is overly acidic. Yes. And the amazing thing about cocktails is that gives you the opportunity to balance out the acid in the grapefruit with one of the other flavors, right? Yeah. So you can act like, um, my buddy, Matt, who we do the tech garage with, he does, um, Greyhounds. Yes. Which, which is, is just, just a horrible goddamn drink. You should never drink that drink because it is wildly unbalanced, grapefruit. right? Yeah. It is overly grapefruit juicy. You have way too much acid in your mouth the whole time you're drinking. And it's just bleh. now that doesn't mean you can't use grapefruit well. <laughs> uh, the daiquiri number three uses grapefruit amazingly because uh, you get just the tiny hint of grapefruit as a finish to the drink, and it actually kind of brings out a little more of the rum. Like a, a grapefruit pairing with the uh, sun liquor was actually a really great deal because it flattened out some of the uh, more alcoholic notes in the uh, rum itself. Yeah, exactly. You're Allowing the citrus and juice to kind of help to mellow out the alcohol, and not not that sun liquors need to be mellowed out. Oh God, no! It was it was it's totally respectable. You could drink that straight. Yeah, it's just that. But this is an example of how you can use a good uh, rum with a number of different flavors to actually come up with a better drink than you would have had individually. Yeah, exactly. So this is essentially. Uh, I don't know if I have the the exact ratio correct in my head, but it's. Two ounces of rum, three quarters of an ounce of grapefruit, uh, half an ounce of lime juice, a quarter of an ounce of maraschino liqueur, and then a quarter of an ounce of two to one ratio uh, simple syrup. Okay, so basically things everybody should have around the house anyway if you're looking to uh, create a kind of good cocktail. Yeah, I mean the only thing that would be... A stretch maybe would be the grapefruit if you didn't have grapefruit juice around. But Now, what's your take on uh, when you're mixing grapefruit juice into cocktails? Are you getting grapefruits and uh, um, you know, like juicing them yourself, or are you going with a off-the-shelf uh, grapefruit juice premixed? So as a general rule, I will always try and uh, do, I'm going to say fresh, and you can put fresh in quotes, um, a fresh juice is going to be better than a, than a, than a canned or bottled juice. Um, I say that because the way that citrus works, some juices actually respond better for time frames than others. So, right. like, and by that, what you mean is you get a different flavor from a freshly squeezed juice than you will for a juice that has been squeezed in like hours and hours ago. Yeah, so it, like, it's going to give you a different profile in the um, cocktail. Yeah, so. Lime and lemon juice actually can store fairly well for a number of hours. Grapefruit juice actually gets better after it's been rested for about two hours. Um, so if you're like planning a party and you know you're going to use a lot of grapefruit juice, it's actually better to juice a whole bunch of grapefruit two hours before than it is to um, than it is to try and do it like for the drink itself. Having said that, uh, keeping fresh juices handy for all the time is like it's really hard to do i mean let's face it unless you're actually running a bar or planning for a specific party 
having fresh lime, lemon, orange, and grapefruit just sitting around is really, really hard. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a hefty amount of work that goes into um, juicing, um, peeling. Like, when you look at a citrus fruit, right, there's a bunch of options you have for the fruit. You have the rind, you have the zest, you have the actual juice of the lemon you have, or of the fruit, you have the uh, pulp, right? Yeah. All of those can be utilized in drinks in different ways. And you're looking for each of those probably at a different style of fruit, right? If you're looking just for the uh, rind or the zest, you don't necessarily need the more juicy aspect of the fruit, which is what you're going to look for if you're looking for the juice. Um, It's kind of like a good example is oranges. You're going to want to find – if you're going to use the orange peel for a garnish, you're going to want to find oranges that are bright orange in color and have no blemishes on them. Right. If you're going to use the orange for the juice, you want to find one that is heavy compared to its size. Correct. And and has like a good you don't really care what the skin looks like because you're not going to use it. Irrelevant because you're now just juicing it, right? Yeah. And um, so, as a human, normal person at their home, those are a lot of concerns to take into account when you're trying to make a good uh, cocktail. Yeah. As a restaurant, you have options, right? As a restaurant, you have a lot of options, and plus, you're gonna you're just gonna use it more, right? Like if if you're if you're a restaurant and you know that you have X number of drinks that have lime juice in the menu, you have a rough idea of how much lime juice you're going to go through and how many limes you need to juice that day. If you're at home and you're just like making – I guess if you're at home and planning for a party, there are ways to figure out how much juice per lime you're going to get, how many limes you should buy for a particular party. If you're at home... Right, but the party ceases to be fun because you now have to do a ton of math. Yeah. Um, If you're at home and just trying to... I want to have some good base items on hand. There is a um, manufacturer that for the life of me right now, I cannot think of the name of, and I can look it up later and we can include it in the show notes, that makes really good all-natural lime and lemon juices, um, and they come in, I want to say about 12-ounce containers, and they last in the refrigerator reasonably for a couple of months. I mean, the, the flavor profile starts to, to drop off a little bit after you've had them. Um, they also make a grapefruit, uh, a, a ruby grapefruit that's that's just pure grapefruit juice, which is what I used for this. Um, so I didn't, like, go and juice things specifically i was using things i already had on hand um because i always keep i always keep at least a bottle of both the lemon and the lime juice in my refrigerator um i go through it in about a month maybe two months tops so it's it's not it's not necessarily always the freshest um if you're like if i'm gonna like throw a party or try and impress somebody i will go get fresh things um as a general rule the quality level does not drop off enough for your average home bar use, that this would be a problem, especially for me. And like, I don't have a whole lot of space. So I, as we've mentioned before, I live in Seattle in a studio apartment. I don't have a lot of storage space. You could, I have fat stacks of storage space here, literally buildings and buildings worth. And yet, and I want to make more. You still make me cry when I drive up and see your motorcycle parked in the rain. So the only way to get the motorcycle out of the rain is to sacrifice the, uh, studio space that we use to record the podcast. Or park your car in the rain. Who cares if your car gets wet? Okay, A, you don't really understand what country living is about. If you park your car outside, mice move in. 
mice can't move into my motorcycle. All right, fine. Right. Because, like, no mouse is going to live in a motorcycle. Uh, although I do think that's a great fucking children's book, and I'm going to now write that. <laughs> I don't have a response to that, but <laughs> of course, sure. Uh, um, but like you, you have lots of storage space. I have a friend that lives in Redmond who has a nice house, and he's got lots of storage space, and he always has fresh limes or lemons on hand, especially when he's planning some sort of get together. But he just goes and buys, he buys them in bulk from like Costco, and he has this big bag of them, and he will go through them all in a party or in a couple of days. Yeah. And, um, having hosted a number of events at my house, um, I will say that fresh cocktails go way faster than, uh, just kind of, you know, beer or wine. Oh yeah. Folks will, even people that don't traditionally drink cocktails will recognize that what they're drinking is, amazing they don't necessarily have the words to describe it or anything like that but they're <laughs> <Kinda> like <doing. laughs> dude dude we totally have like six words hence why we're going to put up on this wall next well not this wall maybe that wall that wall yeah next time some uh, additional words to use okay but yeah um the takeaway is if you're doing uh, uh if you want to make a really top-notch cocktail try and get fresh ingredients it is, yeah. Uh, and if you're interested in a great resource to help you kind of understand the ins and outs of that, you should check out Bar Book. Bar Book. Oh, it's the, the Bar Book. The Bar from Book, yeah. Jeffrey Morgenthaler, yes. Yes. Uh, I actually ordered that after our last podcast and I've been reading through it. That book is fucking phenomenal. Isn't it great? Like, it, it is amazing how it, much you can learn from that book. And it's not the kind of learning. It's not rote memorization learning, right? It's not. It's something it's, you read and then like, I'm going to go back and reference that later. Yeah, and it's all about here's the challenge that you're trying to solve. Go think about it in a reasonable way. And here's kind of the inputs and the outputs and the options that you have in order to make a good product. Yeah, and it's interesting because like we talked earlier about the idea of spiced rum being usually a method of of masking an inferior product. That doesn't have to be the case. You can do things to make spiced rum and it be a very interesting and useful flavor. And in that book, there's actually a discussion about the idea if he does this this Chinese five-spice rum that you can basically make a bottle of rum that's a good golden or dark rum, spice it yourself, get all those really great flavors out of, and it lasts for forever. I mean, like, forever being a relative term of, like, it will last until you drink it all, but, like, it's not going to go bad. You get done infusing this rum with your five spices, and when you're done with it, that bottle of now spiced rum lasts for as long as it takes for you to drink it. So uh, that actually brings up an issue that I hadn't actually considered. Um, I know we have talked about, maybe not on the podcast, but we've definitely talked about infusing um, vodka and assorted other base liqueurs or liquors with mm-hmm. uh, um, you know additional flavors. I had never actually considered doing that with rum. I mean, that's functionally what spiced rum is, right? No. But there's a ton of options that you could have to take oh, a really yeah. good base rum and mix up. I mean, I think last uh, time on the podcast we had the bacon um, washed. Bacon fat washed bourbon, yes. And which we made was, an old fashioned out of it. Which was phenomenal. But um, now I'm just starting to think of all the options you have with rum, right? Well, yeah. I mean, like, if you were to take any sort of idea that you would do with 
bourbon and do it with rum, it will probably work. And, and the big reason for that is because you're, especially the dark rums, you are essentially taking a base spirit that's been aged in wood. So conceptually, they are the same. Yes, they have different starting points. Yes, they have different flavor profiles, but conceptually, they're the same. It's kind of like how earlier we're talking about a, a gimlet conceptually is the same thing as a daiquiri. It's just using gin versus rum. So if you're doing it correctly, there's no reason that you can't do that same idea with infusing something. The fun thing, too, is that like you can make cocktails with rum that are the same idea as a bourbon-based cocktail, and yet they don't... For some reason, the rum makes them acceptable both in summer and winter for some people. Like, I have no problem with bourbon in the summer. I really don't. Uh, don't you use bourbon in... Uh, everything? Everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Like, there's nothing that you can't put bourbon into. No, I agree. But I there's... mean, today's not a bourbon episode, but we should definitely chat about that at some time. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, if even if you're talking about... Oh, God damn it! I'm blanking now. What's the drink that I mock you as a mojito? Oh, the mint julep. The mint julep. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> so the mint julep, it's a bourbon-based drink, right? It is. It's a very, very good drink and made correctly. It's a phenomenal summer drink. It is. Bourbon also can be paired with almost anything to make a great winter drink as well. Yeah. There, there is just nothing that bourbon can't do. And But there's a lot of people who think of bourbon as dark and brown and it's a fall winter drink and when spring and summer comes around they want to switch to something else which is great if that's your drinking style i have nothing wrong with that i happen to like bourbon year round but a lot of people will suddenly think well i can do i can do rum rum's a summer thing rum can also be a winter thing but i i I would argue that uh, when you're looking at rum rum is actually one of those multi-purpose drinks that can or spirits that can be used basically anywhere yeah and you have a lot of options too because you have everything from the silver to the super dark and spicy yeah and the flavor profile of rum is let's be serious if you look at uh spirits right there are some spirits that well it's much like beer right there are spirits that have a lot of flavor and complexity to them that a lot of folks aren't going to enjoy right yes like scotch. There's a whole host of folks that will never enjoy scotch. And scotch is a very acquired taste. And scotch is an acquired taste, much like IPAs in beer, right? Yeah. Or say in wine when you're looking at uh uh god damn it, I'm blanking on the actual wines that I like, which is appalling. Well, it's interesting cuz like wine's a fun one cuz like you take like, like the idea of a red wine and you have so many different options inside red between like well, Merlot versus Cab versus yeah, like, Syrah versus just personally, I don't like Cab at all. Yeah. It's it's not a flavor that I appreciate. I understand that you can have a good cab, I'm just not gonna like it. I'm gonna fall on the Syrah, Shiraz, uh Montepulciano. Like I'm going to fall on the much more Italian grape side of the house, which are much bigger flavors. That's what I enjoy. Um Rum is actually one of those unique drinks that can be substituted for almost anything yeah. and meet the needs of everybody. Because we can agree that there's – if you were to base a drink off of scotch, right, you're okay. going to have a harder time with general acceptance of people going, oh, my God, I love this drink. You put yeah. rum in that same drink, 
everybody's like, oh shit, yeah, give me more of that. That's probably a good true. Yeah, I mean that that's it's one of those. It's interesting because the the flavor profile is it has a unique one, but it is I, I I'm struggling with the word because generic is what first came to my head, but that's not accurate. It's because it's not generic. It's it's neutral. That's the better word, I think. Correct. Neutral is where it lands, and that's one of the great things about rum, right? Is you can have a rum old fashioned, you can have a rum tequila, or I mean, sorry, a, a rum margarita. You can have a rum daiquiri. Like you can substitute rum for basically anything, yeah, and it will give you a good drink because it hits all of the kind of midpoints and through everything that people like. Yes, it does, um, and it's it's a drink that is definitely something that you can balance out. It has a great flavor. It has so many different options on how you can sip on Appleton's, the the Barbon Court, the Zacapa. All of those, I could see ordering neat at a bar just to sip on. And I could also see all of them being amazing elements to a well-balanced cocktail. Yeah, and I think that's our takeaway from today's episode. Rum is actually a very flexible drink, and it can give you a phenomenal cocktail uh, whenever you substitute it. Yeah, definitely. And I think with that... That's all we have to say about rum, isn't it? I think we've had enough to drink for a Saturday morning, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you soon. Yeah. Yeah.